It's August 19th, 2021. This is Rook. Welcome to episode 137 of Rook. Hope you are keeping well. No matter where you're tuning in from around the world, Durud, Salom, Dustan, Aziz. Hello to you from Toronto, Canada. Welcome to another one of our special themed episodes of Rook for this month. Hello, Groovy Shia. Groovy Shia John. Today we're focusing on the uh, influencers. The influencers, three remarkable humans of Iranian descent, all of them personalities who have made and are making a huge contribution, in this case, in the realm of social media. First up, the photographer and lifestyle commentator Kusha Alakban, who has built this amazing dedicated following online. She joins us from Southern California. Then the athlete and Instagram star Picasso Moin is with us from Istanbul. And finally, the fashion journalist and social media leader Bah. Har Islami joins us from Vancouver. That's all coming up, and we are coming to you on rookmedia.com. It is where you can link to all of our platforms and where you can become a patron of this program, rookmedia.com. We are on our ongoing mission to build a new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity. We're on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and CastBox. And if you'd like to see some visuals with Rook and see us on social media, switch over to YouTube or Instagram right now at Rook Media. And if you like your Rook descriptions and bulletins in English and Persian, you can check us out on Telegram where things are bilingual. All right, let's get to our guests. This is, as I say, a special themed episode of Rook. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is The Influencers. Our first guest today is an Iranian-American woman who first came to prominence as a celebrity photographer, capturing remarkable, intimate, and expression-filled moments with well-known stars and their families and loved ones. Her photographic subjects have included global icons like the late basketball legend Kobe Bryant, important figures in the Iranian diaspora, and ordinary folks in extraordinary settings that she has captured around the world. But more recently, Kusha Alagmand has become more recognized for her work in front of the camera than behind it. She is now the woman behind an extremely popular Instagram channel and YouTube series called Kusha's Corner. In it, Kusha makes accessible little videos where she speaks to camera and opines on all manner of subjects from daily life to the challenges of being a woman, to love, to relationships, to global affairs. And she often does so 
sitting in the driver's seat of a, of a car. Uh, she also conducts engaging and entertaining interviews with family and friends and stars in the same format and has done some recent car interviews with the likes of Max Amini, the hip-hop star Air Fawn, the comedian Tehran, as well as her trusty partner and friend Massa. It has made Kusha a growing star of the internet and well worth following. And right now, the charismatic Kusha Alakband joins us from Los Angeles, California. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Jian. Good are? afternoon. That was quite an introduction. Wow. Was it? <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> Is it, you're comfortable with co- being called charismatic, I hope, because you certainly come off as charismatic in, your, in all of your work. That's very, very kind of you. I'm blushing right now. Well, uh, good. Uh, you you deserve that introduction and so much more. I'm so excited to have you on the program. Thank you for doing this. Let's let's get the obvious out of the way. And a question that I know you've been you're likely sick of answering already. Why why decide to sit in a car? Why why? <laughs> first of all, first of all, are you in a car? Are you currently? I in a car? am in my Tesla. In fact, I need to get a sponsorship or something from like Elon Musk himself. Um, let me tell you something. I sit in this car. What's the equivalent of like a man cave? Have you thought about that? <laughs> this is like my man cave. I, you know, I, it's your my, female you know, cave. It's my female cave. If I'm not in my car, you know, my kids are my 11-year-old and my 9-year-old and my husband and everyone else is coming and giving me things to do and screaming at me, yelling at me. So I just come into the car for a few minutes just to have time to think. So, so how did you first discover that um, sitting in a car was the right venue for you to start taping yourself on camera? Honestly, it just sort of happened organically. I didn't give it much thought. Um, you know, I'm in Southern California, and as anyone that knows, we drive a lot. We're constantly driving from here to there, and I'm running errands, and I'm going to work, and I'm dropping my kids to various classes. And so in between those times when I had some free time in the car and I was just thinking about things, I would just whip out the camera and just say something. And it started from there. It, it, I really hadn't put much thought into it, to be honest with you. But it also occurs to me that it's a, it really is a good venue to sort of um, disarm people and make people comfortable at the same time. You're kind of sitting in a car. There's, there are some distractions, I would imagine, but you're, the person is captive to, to a conversation that you're, you, you know, you're having. And, and it's, in a, it's in a familiar kind of setting. They're not walking into some studio with, with lights and cameras. And uh, So do you think that's part of the charm of the car as oh, well? Oh, absolutely. If you're referring to my car talks with other people, Absolutely. I just found it was always my experience back to my, you know, back to my childhood in Iran when we used to call, you know, we used to uh, take all these family road trips with my parents, you know, to Shiraz and Esfahan and all those places. And then here in the States, uh, when I was in college and my friends, my best friends and I used to drive on Pacific Coast Highway and have our best conversations. I just find that the most real and authentic conversations always happened in the car for me somehow. Um, you know, we really didn't have a destination. We were very, very present and somehow just conversation flowed. And I guess subconsciously that was just my model. That's just what I thought. Have about. you always been a conversationalist? You're, it seems to come naturally. You seem inquisitive. I mean, watching you, you, there's no script. You're just you're just somebody who feels very comfortable talking, and 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 you seem like a curious person. Has that always just been the way you are? 
yes, that's just the kind of family I come from. We, you know, we love having wonderful conversations. I really hate small talk. I'm not much of a small talker. And I just, we, you know, I just love getting into in-depth conversations. But what I mostly love is I, I think everyone has a story and I love hearing their stories. And I think that's part of also what I learned when I was in the private banking world many, many, many years ago, back in another lifetime. You know, that's what I learned. People have stories and it's really wonderful just to be a good listener and, and see what they have to say. When you talk about telling a story, you've also said, you've said, we come, I guess, in reference to Iranians uh, or those of us uh, of Iranian descent like you and I. You say we, we've come from a culture that is shame-based and based mm-hmm. on perfectionism. Yep, I got that. And, and, and yeah. you've said, I wanted to let a lot of that shame go by telling stories. Can you explain that? I, it's my opinion that, you know, we do come from a shame-based culture a perfectionist culture, you know, like think about the concepts like Aberu, you know, we're constantly being threatened. Aberut mire, Aberut mibaran, you know? Right. So we have what is, this. What is Aberu huge, in English? We know there isn't even an equivalent gosh, of Aberu, is there? No, what uh, is there? Ashaya. <laughs> it'd be like uh, Aberu would be like uh, status, your status will be diminished somehow? Yes, or yes, your yeah. status will be, then you'll be tarnished or something like right, that, I right. would imagine. You know, when you grow up with that kind of a, uh, when that kind of a, could you, I, I wonder if this is the right way to put it, like collective consciousness, I suppose. It's really difficult to be authentic. It's really difficult to be seen. It's really difficult to be heard. So you really have to do some real work and deep digging to, um, you know, find your authentic self. And, you know, that's what I've tried to do and I keep practicing for myself. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that because of the nature of our culture then, you've probably, I mean, we'll get to more in depth in terms of the kind of t- things you talk about, but but you've you've probably been shamed <laughs> by, by I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you have, there are Iranians, maybe um, other Iranian women, I don't know if men would feel comfortable doing this with a woman, but who say, why are you opening up so much? Why are you talking about our Ooh, dirty laundry? Yeah. Why are you, you know, to get bassy, you know, enough already with the, I, uh, being so open? Do you, do you get that? I just, I just received a DM right now, you know, on my Instagram account. What is wrong with you that you have to be seen so much? Mm. <laughs> you know, I get these all the time. I get wonderful feedback, a lot of good energy. But there's also, you know, this kind of feedback because, uh, you know, I, I don't really do anything crazy on Instagram, so I don't get any crazy feedback. But, you know, these are, these are the kind of feedback that I also get. Why, you know, I talk about self-love and people mistake it for being um, selfish, for example. You know, so I get that kind of feedback. So I get shamed for being selfish. You know, I we talk about whatever we talk about. There's a lot of shame in our culture. You know, people try to shame you um, to stay quiet, you know. And the more you stay quiet, you know, I always say the more you stay quiet, the more that shame metastasizes. And, you know, in our culture, the courage to be seen is huge. Nobody really wants to be seen. You know, they're scared to be seen because they're going to get judged big time. Oh, yeah. We all know it. 
And God forbid you're a little bit different or you stand out. Let me ask you about that courage. Uh, and let's go back. You, you, you're born in Tehran around mm-hmm. the time of the Islamic Revolution. You come to California from Iran as a kid in the mid-80s with your parents and your younger brother. Uh, and you've told me you, you had a really difficult time assimilating into the U.S. Could you have imagined... Think of Kusha as the kid in the in the eighties and the in the nineties. Uh, could you have imagined you'd be opening up yourself and your life uh, to the world on camera the way you do these days? Hell to the no! <laughs> <laughs> no, I never imagined such a thing. It just it just happened. I, I you know it just happened. You know, especially the kind of background and the kind of family I I come from. I never I never imagined myself doing that. My mom is an intensely private person. Uh, you know, and she has great influence in my life. And to this day, whatever my mom says, you know, I do. And I listen because she's always right. But I never imagined that this would happen. I never imagined I would have videos on Instagram. And, uh, you know, my my husband is um, not on social media. He has a great disdain for all you know, social media and here I he am, does? you know. He has a he disdain does. for social media. He he's not he just you know, he he probably has a fake account and comes and checks my stories. <laughs> 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 this is interesting. He has a disdain for social media, but his, he's an his, intensely private person. He's intensely private, but he supports me wholeheartedly. Very nice, wholeheartedly. Yeah. And and it, but does he watch your stuff? Does he? Kind he of, does, and he just does grammatical corrections. And <laughs> you did this. <laughs> but, but but hang on a second. Two steps back, because you've said you felt like an outcast as a kid, and and and, and, and you've you've even posted. You've talked about that that you still do sometimes. I, does, I always do. You do. I feel like a misfit, complete misfit, absolutely. So, 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 becoming a popular social media personality that doesn't make you feel less like an outcast. Not at all. Not at all. I, I feel like you know. I was telling my son this other day. You know, as he's going through the challenges, almost approaching middle school, and he always, he was always like, "Mom, did you ever feel like a misfit?" I'm like, Cameron, I always feel like a misfit. I, I mean, we're all. I mean, you know. I'll never fit in. I don't think anyone will ever really fit in. And, you know, there's a really good reason for that. And I'll tell you what it is. Objects fit in. Things fit in. (laughs) You know, like lumps of concrete fit in holes. But humans can't fit in unless we're like reduced to lumps. You know, and we like numb ourselves to life and adventure and the possibility of transformation. We can't fit in. You know, we relate, we feel, we experience life firsthand. You know, we have like shifting attitudes and perspectives that we can't fit in. You know, and then if we want to fit in at what cost? You know, like, you know, our sanity, our peace, our awakening. How do we, how do we squeeze ourselves? How do we fit in? So I really never wanted to, um, you know, Gretchen Marx has this famous saying, you know, I never wanted to be a fit or be a member of a club that wants me. Right, I right. just, you know, I, I rather belong. I, I wanted belonging, but I didn't want to fit in. Let me, um, let me come back to that. Let me come back to the okay. the courage that it takes for you to do what you do, because I think it it's quite brave to put yourself out there the way you do. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you know, take me back because you you've said you had a a really happy childhood in Iran. Um, yeah. Tell me about the process of moving to America and how that was so hard for you. I just had a beautiful childhood in Iran, surrounded by loving a large family loving family members that doted on me and then we came to the states and there was no one it was just the four of us my mom and dad and my younger brother and my parents just 
never quite got adjusted to this immigrant life. You know, they left their comfortable, cushy life and they had to adjust. And it was very, very difficult for them to adjust. And we didn't have any family here. So I mean, it was just like, you know, the cultural assimilation was a little bit tough for me. I was such a Persian. I was always like, even though I, I left Iran at such a younger age, I just, I'm like one of those, I'm still like, I feel like I'm a, like kind of fresh off the boat. I'm kind of wobbly. You do? <laughs> I feel that. I, I'm very Persian. I'm very Persian. But you're also very American, so, too. I, I am, mean, you're, I you're, am, you're, you I know, am, you've got, you don't have much, you don't have an accent. You're, right. you know, you're very steeped in uh, American culture. You know, a lot, of your, a lot of your work you've done has nothing to do with the Iranian community in some yeah. cases, right? No, it so, doesn't. Um, it doesn't. But I had a hard time assimilating. I really did have a hard time adjusting. Again, it was that lack of belonging. I no longer belonged to a larger community. And it was really difficult for a few years for me. The immigration, I mean, the immigrant, the immigration journey, I guess, with that, what you call it, it was very difficult for me. You, you end up um, becoming this successful young woman in the banking industry, mm -hmm. um, which, uh, you know, you, like you're, you're kind of an overachiever, right? I mean, let's get that out of the way. I, I, you were you were you were probably very focused at school. You did really well. You you were I don't know valedictorian. <laughs> no, I wasn't valedictorian. Okay. But 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 I you know again that you know Persian mentality where you have to be enough. You know, if you have certain accolades, if you you know get this title, if you're pretty enough, if you you know you marry the perfect person, you'll be enough. So, yes. you know, I, I went the correct route. I try to do everything so I can be perfect so that there would be no shame in my game. <laughs> so you become the VP. You become mm -hmm. a VP in the banking industry. You become the successful person. You're probably making a bunch of money. Your parents are probably proud of you. And then, and, proud. and then there's the breaking point where you pivot to becoming a photographer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know. How does that, how does that work? Right? Well, well, I, 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 I mean, the first <laughs> thing I think is you probably, I, I, I haven't talked to you about this, but I'm imagining, I mean, I, I don't know if there's a super tradition, especially going back, say, 20 years or whatever, of, of, uh, women Iranian women being photographers especially in the eyes of I your parents I'm, going from being yeah. a banker so so how did that go down I tell you I remember it was a very difficult decision I was actually I was I felt very passionate about it but you know what there was these like little old voices in my head are you doing the right thing oh my god what if you fail what if people laugh at you and I remember I was at a wedding one night and I was in the bathroom stall and a girl that I knew that was a very successful dentist who loved photography at the time was outside. She didn't know that I was in the bathroom. Someone came up and said, so-and-so, June, are you the one that's quitting your job to become a photographer? That's what I heard. <laughs> and she said, oh, my goodness, I would never. Who would do that? And imagine I was in the bathroom stall listening to this and I was mortified and I had just a big lump in my throat and I thought, oh my God, what am I doing? And people are going to ridicule me. And I remember sort of, I had my, sort of, sort of my shoulders were down. My body language was very, very apparent that I was just not in a good state. I came and sat next to my mom. I said, mommy, this just happened. And she looked at me and gave me the best advice. And uh, this is one advice I'll never forget. She said, Hushe, when you first start out with anything, everyone will criticize you. Mm. Everyone will transfer their own fears and projections on you. Yeah. You keep your head 
down, focus, and just keep going. And I promise you, when you reach a point in your career where you're extremely successful, the very same people that were the naysayers are going to kiss your behind. Those were her exact words. And that's exactly what happened, Gian. You photographed some very well-known figures, some who are icons that are no longer sure. with us. I mentioned Kobe Bryant. Kusha, right. do you have a different process when it comes to those who have been photographed thousands of times? I mean, no. if I thought, if I was going to interview Kobe Bryant, I'd go, well, this guy's done thousands of interviews. What, what, how am I going to make this different? So do you think, how can I get something out of Kobe that thousands of others have not when you, when you think about photographing him? I'll be very, very honest with you. The thought never crossed my mind. I just went in it and just was very present and thought, let's just see what we can get today. And, um, you know, maybe I would have done better if I, if I thought that, but I, I was just very, very confident that we were going to get something really, really good that day. And every time we did, unfortunately, I can't show those images, you know, but um, yeah, I never thought about it too much. I would love to give you a, much more interesting answer. But no, I think it, that's that's a very interesting answer in and of itself. It doesn't matter who the subject is as long as you get no, a sense I'm, of them. You, you the don't, same process you don't think for about, everyone. Right, right. Does it matter to you where you are when you're taking photos? I, I, there's On your website, there's this beautiful set of photos from Shiraz in, from, I mm -hmm. guess, 2017 when you were traveling yes. in Iran. Um, I, I was going to say, I, I'm going to ask you what it's like photographing in your home country in, in, in Iran. But, oh. but, but does it, I mean, in general, do you, if, if I set up a photo session with you, would, it, would you care where it is? Does it change how you do your job? Yes, I, I have to check out the location always. I have to know exactly where I'm photographing because I, a lot of times I would use ambient light and I follow the light. Where there's good light, there's going to be great photos. So, so why was Iran so inspirational? <sighs> it was just I hadn't been there for 20-something years, more than that. And... It was just reconnecting with mother, reconnecting with home. It was, I, I mean, I just get, I get teary-eyed just thinking about it right now. It was just, again, I felt like just going back to somewhere that I truly belonged. Huh. And so it was a very, very special time. And it was my first time there with my children. And seeing Yvonne through their eyes was ex just very very special i i gotta tell you i have a funny story about going to paris police though it wasn't the smartest move i went there i took my kids there like in the middle of july in fact we took great pictures because no other person in the right mind uh showed up at the paris police that time of the year so it was just us it was i don't know it was like 110 degrees and <laughs> uh, but we took great shots though <laughs> you grew up in tehran right I did. So even when you go back and you're in in a, in a place like Shiraz, you feel like you feel more of a sense of of belonging than you do in California, say. There's just so much. People are just so loving, and I don't know. Even I, I connect with the streets. I connect with the trees. I I guess it's like my memory of my dad is very much alive there. So I just connect on a very deep level. Um, going back to Iran every time. How did you go from, why did you go from being this person who's got a career chugging along as this successful photographer to mm -hmm. starting to 
include yourself in the images that you would put out there and then to begin recording videos what, what was the evolution uh, maybe it was midlife crisis <laughs> maybe it was midlife crisis you're you know, still just, too young for that come on <laughs> I'm, I'm, try I'm trying to <laughs> you know what i think what it was is you know i i went through that and i experienced um a lot of success um and then there was a point where that image wasn't even serving me in, in, in anymore. The photographer everywhere. I went, ooh, she's the photographer. But it wasn't serving me anymore. And, you know, the, all these images, all this, uh, all my life that, you know, you have to be this to be enough. You have to be this. You have to be this. None of it was serving me anymore. So I went into a contemplative, contemplative? Contemplative, yeah. Yeah. Com yeah. One of those words I can't say. Uh, you know, I had to do a lot of soul searching, a lot of introspection, get really messy, you know, soften sort of into the hard edges of life, you know, mm -hmm. not shy away from discomfort, all that stuff that, you know, us Persians don't really do that much, mm -hmm. you know, dig deep into my psyche, figure out my deepest fears, you know, make friends with being a little bit more vulnerable, make friends with being more uncomfortable. So once I got to that stage, I realized, and there's no stage, but once I got to this particular point, I realized, you know, there's a lot of people that are experiencing what I'm experiencing. You know, when I would talk to people and we would have these like moments of connection, be like, that's exactly how I feel. And I thought, you know what? We talk about where we get our nails done. We talk about everyone's on Instagram talking about their shoes, about their dresses, tagging this person, talking about superficial things. Why not talk about some real deep topics you know what's wrong with that what's wrong about sharing something some you know where there's like points of connection with people do you Does remember the first topic that that you talked about where you realized whoa there's an audience that really wants to engage at this level yes i had a car talk and i think i was talking about um how we listen to say something versus really listening to hold space for someone. And we respond out of our discomfort uh, not to, again, hold space for someone. And, and when I talked about that, the amount of comments that started coming in was crazy. It was just, I, I mean, I just saw this response that I'd never seen before. And I knew I was onto something. And what have you learned about people? I mean, if you can... Uh, it, it, obviously, this is an educational journey for you, too. What have you learned about people by starting this channel? I've learned that everyone takes things very, very personally. They can't sit in their own discomfort. People are get very discomfortable, I mean, uncomfortable very quickly. Discomfortable. They get uncomfortable very, very quickly. And us Iranians, the amount of... Um, Again, we shame a lot. When we go into that uncomfortable mode, we turn back and shame other people. I've learned that we are really good at giving a lot of love, but also we, we shame each other quite a bit. I've also learned that people really struggle with the concept of being alone. Mm. Um, How did you learn that? Quite a bit. You know, I get the DMs that I get. You know, people are constantly wanting to find belonging outside of themselves. Mm. We've never been taught that in order to, you know, truly belong, you got to become friends with yourself. You got to make friends with yourself. You're your only 
true love and connection. And, you know, we talk about dating a lot. I start by talking, you know, about relationships and dating because that's actually a way to get to know ourselves better. Yeah. You know, when, when you're in that kind of a situation, that actually forces you, become so vulnerable, it forces you to look within. It's an opportunity, it's an invitation for you to look within and try to get to know yourself better. Uh, you wrote something in, in April 2017 uh, on one of your platforms that I, I jotted down. I think you were speaking to or of your son, and you said, I hope I can teach him to see that it is necessary to let things go simply for the reason that they are heavy. So let them go, let go of them and tie no weights to your ankles. I hope I can learn this myself. Mm-hmm. I love that, what you wrote there. I, I want you to tell me, if you can, what inspired you to write that or what that means to you today. Hanging on to stories we make up in our head that weigh us down. Hanging on to stories from the past and hanging on to stories from our envisioned future that really weigh us down when practicing presence is really practicing self-compassion just being in this moment just now letting go of all expectations all the weight everything that's just pulling us down and i keep practicing that every single moment to be a little bit more present meditation is a huge part of my life um, and self-compassion. Every time I'm hard on myself, every time I have that heavy weight to come back and talk in a very loving way to myself and just tell myself, listen, you're imperfect, but you're enough. Let go of the story. Let it go. Thank you for this today. What a joy. What a pleasure. Khaili Mochekinam, you're, you're, um, <laughs> of course, you're, you're so accessible to talk to. I, I only wish my voice wasn't in this, uh, over the last uh, hour. We, we just need yours. It's, it's such a, a great voice to listen to and, and your insights and the work you've done is, um, is so valuable. Thank you for doing it and thank you for coming on today. Thank you, Jian. It was my pleasure. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. Bye bye. Kusha Alakban, a renowned photographer, the host of the popular internet series Kusha's Corner. Kusha joined us from Los Angeles, California. to a special themed edition of Rook, The Influencers. Uh, We're doing this all month where we uh, take a theme and have uh, three stellar guests. We've done the champions, uh, the broadcasters, the screen gems, today, The Influencers. We heard from Kusha Alagband in Los Angeles. Uh, Let's get to our next guest who in many ways, Shai, I think really defines influencer. This guy says something and his fans really, really respond. He is an Iranian kickboxing champion, an entrepreneur, and a major social media influencer. He was born Ahmad Moin Shirazi in Najaf, Iraq, but he's better known now as Picasso Moin. 
Picasso and his family moved back to Iran after the revolution of 1979, when he was only a year old. By the age of 13, he was immersed in the world of martial arts. In his teenage years, Picasso moved to Pakistan, then to Sri Lanka, then returned to Iran in 1998 before leaving again for Germany, where he won a number of different titles in kickboxing. In recent years, Picasso and his wife Shabnam had become an influencer couple with over half a million followers in Iran. On Instagram, one of the few Western social media networks that are not blocked in Iran, the couple showed themselves in their everyday life with their children, doing sports, or in intimate moments like sharing a kiss. Well, for this, quite famously a couple of years ago, they were charged convicted and sentenced to a total of 16 years in prison by the Revolutionary Court in Iran for posting so-called propaganda against the regime and quote-unquote obscene and vulgar content and for spreading alleged quote moral corruption through their popular Instagram accounts. Well, this led to an escape from Iran while on bail, headlines around the world in recent months. Picasso and his wife are currently in self-exile in Turkey with their two children. And right now, Picasso Moin joins me from Istanbul. Hello, sir. Hello, Gian. Hello, everybody. It's a pleasure to be with you guys, really, and very excited for the rest of the show. Thank you so much for doing this, Picasso. Yeah, I mean, you've had quite a quite a year of the last 12 months, and I want to get to your whole story of how you were sentenced by the Islamic Republic, how you ended up being able to get out, and all that you've learned in the process. Let me ask first, in general, I mean, this has been a very turbulent time for your family. You're suddenly in exile. To judge from your Instagram account and postings, you are taking it in stride. There's sweet pictures of you and your wife and family. Is it fair to say you are coping okay for now? Well, it is actually. Uh, you see, uh, uh, actually being abroad, being like out of Iran for me uh, was something which I'm quite used to. I, I left country uh, as I was 16 years old. And uh, to be honest with you, I uh, uh, wasn't really the material which was meant to live in Iran. I mean, especially the kind of family that I w grew up in. And I had difficulties in Iran, like uh, trying to connecting with the society to begin with. So when I left Iran, I left in the hope that I don't come back anytime soon. But when I came back and I met my wife and I decided to stay in Iran and then we set up our businesses and life and had children and stuff. So it was different. Like uh, I was really looking forward to being around, although we had plans to go back to Germany since I'm uh, double nationality, I'm Iranian German. Uh, but we always wanted to keep in touch with Iran, keep our ties, always wanted to come back, see the families, keep our businesses going on. And this time when we left, it was different. Like, I don't know, this, this, this term, this particular term, Qurbat, is what we are feeling right now. Wow. Knowing that we cannot go back, we can't uh, see our friends anymore, we miss our house or street or, or, or whatever we built there, whatever we left there. And, uh, oh, that uh, isn't really that pleasant. But let's say we're a family, we're happy, and I've learned through the time uh, to be happy and grateful for whatever I have, and this is what we're doing right now. We're okay. Okay, let me let me get to all of that because um, there, there's a lot in this story that is is very interesting and quite daunting. First of all, take take us back because you have. 
I mean, you have quite an extraordinary story of uh, coming from the lineage you do, becoming a champion in martial arts, then becoming an enemy of the, the revolutionary court for your online presence. You were born in Najaf, went back to Iran as a little kid with your family. So Najaf is one of Shia Islam's foremost holy cities. Your father was or is a member of the clergy. What, what was your childhood like? Uh, tell me what um, little Picasso was like. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> You're taking me back in time, man. Well, actually, I uh, was born in uh, in a religious family, religious but modern. Uh, I mean, uh, of course, my I was born in Najaf, not only because my father was studying theology in Najaf, it was because my father was uh, a fugitive, a political fugitive because in the period of Shah. Right. Uh, I was born there, and I was different from the very, very young age. I mean, uh, I can remember that uh, a friend of ours brought me a shirt as a gift. I was four years old, and the shirt was American Navy's uniform, I suppose. Hmm. This is what I was told. Right. So it has like these tiny eagles and American flags in it. And I was wearing it, and then a relative of ours or a guest of ours in at her home looked at it and said to my mother that, oh, turn that uh, American flag off his shirt and that eagle and whatever. These are like Americans, imperialism, evil, whatever. And uh, my mom said like, yeah, but that's all right. That's just a kid. And you see those days at the beginning of the revolution, uh, you were either this way or that way. Like, if you wouldn't do that, they would still, like, they would just run out and start talking behind your back that, you know, these people are Taguti and they're, I don't know. So my mom took off that flag, and I think that was a turning moment for me. I was only four years old. Wow. But I really thought, like, this is not okay because I love this shirt, and I love that flag. I mean, it looked good. I mean, hmm. since I remember, I always loved to wear um, bow ties or ties and things like that uh, in my family was a little bit odd because my dad was a Rouhani, was an Akhund, and we were not raised like that. And my mom, my dad used to say, like, he's different, like, this is in his blood. You put it interestingly a few moments ago. You said, I am not the material meant to live in Iran. And so you knew that from a young age, that you're just out oh, of yeah. step with at least the contemporary version of that country. Oh, yeah. You see, as son of my father, I had to behave in a manner and way which I could not. Not that I didn't want to, I could not. At the time, I was the black ship, and I had really, really a very hard time. People, friends of my father used to talk bad about, I mean, about me. They wouldn't let their children to play with me or interact with me. I was a bad influence and I was a bad reputation for my father. My father was a great guy. You see, like he had his beliefs and he had his things and he still didn't really, really push me that hard, but he had to control me. So when it came out, that I could leave country for further studies, everybody was happy. Everybody was excited. <laughs> My parents, right. they said, like, oh, okay, we will, we'll like get rid of him. 
<laughs> you know, it's interesting to hear you talk about your dad. I mean, a, a, a significant member of the Iranian clergy, Ahund, as you say, Mullah. I mean, this, you obviously are aware, this makes you controversial for some people. Even saying, even telling a couple of people that you're going to be coming on our show, one of them said, oh, you know, he's a son of Ahund, as if you could never somehow separate yourself from that. Or <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, how, how do you react to people finding um, this uh, either controversial controversial or um, somehow therefore seeing you as an insider of some kind? Well, I am used to that. 30 years ago, people would see me as a traitor, as uh, an outsider, somebody who is spoiled, who is, uh, I don't know, who is faucet, who is westernized and has crazy ideas, dangerous ideas. And uh, uh, I don't know, 30 years later, People think about me the other way around. You know, I don't really belong to any 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 group right here. I mean, I can't really connect with anybody, nobody. And actually, I don't know. I stopped caring about that because I thought like you can't really make everybody happy. So I decided to be what I am. I mean, I am who I am. I am how I am. And people talk about me. As we came out, uh, there was this reporter from VOA who wrote. An article about us and the guy didn't know a thing about me nothing I mean, nothing which is written in that article is correct i don't know where he was getting his information from but like what I, what was he saying that yeah he, he's corrupted he has had hundreds of millions of i don't know dollars in his pocket from this organization and the other organization which oh, i was like oh where do they get these information from i mean what is he even talking about? And I mean, I build everything that I have on my own, on my own, because uh, you see, in Iran, many people are unhappy and many people all have crisis, economical crisis. Sure. And they can't really realize that maybe they are unhappy because of other reasons and not financials. So if you look happy, it means you're rich. You see, like Iranians, at the moment, many people in Iran unfortunately think that happiness means having money. So if you're happy, you're loaded. If you're not, then I don't know. So are you so, are you rich? Actually, no. Not at all. I mean, I'm doing okay, but I'm not rich. No, 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 no. not at all. No. You see, uh, but you seem like, but you seem happy. So I figured you were. I'm, I'm <laughs> always happy. You see, I used to literally, Gian, right. literally, literally, I slip under the bridge in Germany. And I still was happy. You see, I sacrificed so much for this sport. You see, uh, I, I was fighting. I, st I had a professional contract from 2000 till 2003. I used to fight with German flag. And as I made a name for myself, uh, I turned to my promoter and I still like, from now on, I will fight for Iran. And uh, the contract wouldn't allow that. So I said, like, I want you to do something which it works out. And uh, they came up with an idea like if I give up some of uh, the terms in my uh, contract, if I ask for less money, practically I can fight for Iran and I accept it. So I lost, I've, I mean, financially, I've lost so much for representing Iran, although in my active years of fighting, 
nobody in Iran knew me. Absolutely. Let, let me get to let me get to those the fighting years, but because and, and I'll, we'll come back to your lineage and, okay. and but but I want to ask you about being an athlete because by your early teens, you start getting into martial arts. Uh, were, were you always an athletic kid? And and what drew oh, you no. in? What, did you have pictures <laughs> oh, no. of Bruce Lee on your wall? Like what was your? Uh, how did you get into martial arts? Actually, I was a little bit chubby, not really that athletic. One summer. Uh, I got my hands on a movie from Jackie Chan <laughs> and I watched that movie 150 times during that summer from that moment I decided to be a martial arts champion of course I was uh, supposed to study because in our family everybody had to study everybody had to become a doctor Mandes, sure. so I did that but this was not what I wanted to do so when I was free and I had the chance I decided to leave that all behind and focus on my sport career, which I did. By the way, I, I love people and I, lo- I, I love human beings. I mean, this and stories of human beings. It's, maybe it's why I love this job because I like talking to people about their lives. And I love the, word, the way the world operates sometimes, especially in, in, in our era, that a kid in Iran from a religious family with a, with a father who's Nahund finds inspiration in a Chinese martial arts star, star <laughs> who makes yeah. cheesy music, movies in the, the 1980s and 90s. Uh, and uh, I, I really enjoy that that idea. Let, let's get to your followers because you have a huge footprint in social media. I mean, you, you I guess you started becoming active over the last 10 years online and particularly on Instagram. You were still in Iran and you become very popular and famous along with your wife, Shabnam, uh, and even later your children. Uh, how, how do you think, what was the magic sauce where you become such an influencer with uh, well over a half a million followers? Mm, okay. You see, first of all, you, you should know that my wife and I, we were really into social media that much that uh, I met my wife through uh, Facebook. I proposed to her on her wall. <laughs> you did? When I, yeah, when I said to my mom, my mom was first of all very happy that I want to marry. And then she said, son, you're an idiot. <laughs> And okay, it wasn't like that. She, 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 because she didn't know about Facebook anything. <laughs> I just showed her that. Look, I wrote her. Would you? Will you marry me? And she said, like, okay, can everybody read that? <laughs> and I said, yes. And I said, son, you're an idiot. Because what if she says no? I said, like, okay. Then she says no. <laughs> I don't know. This is a very twenty first century story. Into social media, you didn't want to get on your knee and uh, do, you know, be lakeside or with a. No, 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 no. (laughs) And then uh, when we switched on Instagram because everything in Iran was banned and filtered, and Instagram was the only social media existing in Iran. uh, I don't know. Like people started liking us, and uh, I would say that maybe we had the, the those factors. You see, you, I don't know, like there, there are a few points that you need to have in order to people like you. And maybe we had a couple of those. And people found us interesting, especially a couple who always are together, train together, you know, like have fun. And uh, I don't know, have, have kind of lifestyle that people maybe like, I don't know. But we were aware of that 
when we made a small trip inside Iran because once we were, we did a travel I mean, we traveled through Iran we went to uh, Tabriz and we were doing posts on the way and then we started like getting responses people were asking us oh come to our place or where are you <laughs> people came on the street and they literally found us wow and it was very strange to us i said i mean it was crazy i i mean i can't explain it how it was because it was like i never felt like that before there were people standing in the entrance of the city where there was a, a petrol pump and there they saw us they said like they were waiting for us because they thought maybe we want to tank our car here hmm. and i said to my wife wow that's influence and let's use it for good so we started using that influence we raised money for so many children who had difficulties with expenses in their medical uh, procedures or so many people which i mean we did so many charity works there were people who were kicked out of their house because they they were behind rents or i don't know some people who were in jail and uh, because they owed money to people or many children that we helped or other adults who had problem with their uh, medical expenses and then we started doing so-called fat hang sozi because i think that this is something culture building that a culture really yeah. needs at the moment you know because after 42 years of revolution the people are lost i mean we are all lost you know mm. because we're going wrong direction you see our culture got mutated somehow and we thought like this is the place the platform we can use and talk to people and they say that if you want to see a change in the world become that change uh, so we started like uh, behaving the way we wanted everybody to behave and showing it to people talking to people and it started working really really good do you like the fame part of it i mean you're probably more famous than you've ever been now do you is that something that you that feels good that you that you that you enjoy certainly certainly uh okay enjoy of course you yeah. i mean i would i wouldn't i mean even if i was not uh let's say i mean if the people didn't know me i still would be the same person uh and uh this small amount of fame didn't change me it didn't make me different i mean another person i i sub i mean i think i think it didn't but uh of course it is not easy especially uh in persian uh, social media because you know that persian social media is very abusive and very offensive as well you see they got good parts and they are i thought that was just uh, social part. media in general <laughs> it doesn't uh, have to uh, well yeah but you know no no i mean okay i don't know you should have your experience which i'm sure you have yes yes I <laughs> uh, but uh people are ready i mean this is how it is you see uh, i fought for so many years for my country and then one guy come up with a video and then look what he did to me <laughs> this is how it is but yep. uh uh yeah we like it i mean we, we we liked it because we did a lot of good things i mean we did a lot of things which i'm very proud of i mean we together people raising a fund for somebody who needed let's say i don't know hundred thousand dollars to get out of jail and there were people who were paying five cents but they felt like being part of 
a good deed, good thing yes. to do. And that, 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 I could say that brought a change, you know? It's kind of the best part of social media where you can actually it is. really be, build a community. Picasso, let me, let me then get to, um, I mean, before I let you go, we have to get to the story of what's happened over the last year. So, so you become repeatedly summoned to the intelligence ministry in Iran and warned about your social media activities, you and your wife. Uh, first of all, how seriously would you take these warnings at first? Oh, oh! if it is in uh, the Ministry of Information, <laughs> you take it serious. I mean, everybody does. You see, that's, that's, the, last, that's the last stage. It's like cancer stage four. But it didn't stop you from posting things or doing what you believe you, you uh, should have the freedom to do. You see, talking about controversy and people not talking about me, it, it was like for two years, people were always accusing me of being supape et minan. It means like uh, you are telling all this stuff, you are criticizing the government, but you are with the government, you are with the regime, you are criticizing it so that we feel there is freedom of speech. Mm. Otherwise, there are people who've been uh, taken in custody or vanished for writing way less than you do, so you are with government. Uh, and then, once they picked us up, everything changed. And... Uh, it was a couple of young guys, I mean, young teenagers, some, 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 some people who were on a boat on a lake swimming together, girls and boys. And somebody shoot their pictures while, while, while swimming. And that picture went viral. Yes. Shabnam came up from our home gym, said to me that you know about those children, um, those kids? I said, yes. He said, one of them is cousin of a pupil of mine, a student of mine. I said, okay. He said, day before yesterday, 6 a.m. in the morning, they have raided their house and picked them up with their computers, uh, cell phones and everything and arrested the whole family. I said, oh, shit. And he said, now keep writing whatever you're writing and always say nothing happens. She, I swear to God, this is the truth. She went back downstairs to the gym. Three or four minutes later, I received a call with no ID color on it. And I said, like, oh, God. I picked up the phone. <clears throat> Hello? And he said, yes. Uh, Mr. Said Ahmad Munshirazi, and I said, I mean, nobody calls me that. Everybody calls me Picasso. So I knew that shit, this is serious. And then <laughs> they said, Yeah, uh, are you at home right now? And I said, Yes. I said, Can you please remain at home because we are sending you a letter, and we need to hand it to you in person. And I said, Like, okay, where is the letter from? He said, it's a letter from the court. And I said, okay, has it to do with my gym or other businesses, restaurant or whatever I have? He said, no, 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 no. It is for you and your wife. We call you from Ministry of Information. I, uh, I said, in, in Persian. 
And he said, oh, no, no, don't worry. Informa I mean, Ministry of Information is a very friendly informa uh, ministry who is there for your own security. And I'm sure there must be a misunderstanding. So there are a few questions that you have to clear and there is nothing to worry about. Hmm. So I remained at home and the, a big fellow delivered the letter. Sorry, it when, was, when was this? How, how long ago was this? It was uh, 2018. It's a couple of years ago, yeah. Yeah. So I went downstairs. And you see, Shabnam came and told me that because Shabnam was always against what I used to write. And all this criticizing the government. My father seriously disliked it. And he always told me, stop writing what you're doing because this is, first of all, you're, you're wrong. You are wrong. And second of all, this is very dangerous what you're doing. Don't, don't think that I could protect you. But Picasso, are you saying that they used the pretext of you guys, you know, putting pictures on the internet that, that you know, goes against the laws and they used that as the pretext to come after you when what, what they really were coming after you for was the fact that you were taking political positions against the government? We were, we were a package because there was propaganda against the regime was one of the accusations which was what I was doing according to them. I never thought that I'm doing any propaganda against the regime because I was thinking that I'm writing very smart. The re I, I used to tell my wife, you see why they come to us and why they haven't come to us actually or for us is because I write very smart, you know. I know the red lines. I don't cross them. Uh, this is what I was thinking. Right. But no, that wasn't the case. I don't know why. They should have come way earlier because I tell you why. When we went there, they had copies of maybe 1,000 posts of my wife, 500 posts of mine, each one uh, printed on a paper, written something on it uh, with a comment on it, and they were all there as uh, evidence. I had a post which I, 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 I wrote. It was too offensive, I would say. It was a little bit too sharp. After a few friends of mine read it, they called me and they said, Picky, maybe you want to delete this because this has gone too far. And what did you and say in that post? It was about Dukhtaron Engalab or something like that. Okay. Those, the girls who used to yeah, take off Daughters of the Revolution, stuff, yeah. You know? yeah. Daughters of so, the but Revolution. But I, I used some strong terms. And when the third guy, the same night, called me and he said, Picky, what is it? Picky, I mean, take it off. I deleted it. So that post was maybe for four or three hours on my Instagram. And they had it. And they had a copy of that. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. Like, maybe there was, there, I don't know how it works, but they had a copy of a post which was only three hours on my page. And I was like, wow, you guys are good. Anyhow, we went there. We were really scared. Can I just stop you for a second? Because you're yeah. you're telling this story almost in a um, in retrospect, in in almost a fun way, you know. Uh, but sorry. but no, no, don't be sorry. I mean, I, that's probably a because because I, you know, I I go from A to F and F to P and I don't know. I well, I just I wonder if I mean you, you when you say you were scared, I I imagine you were on some level terrified at this point, right? Because. Oh, yeah. 
um, this is this isn't a joking matter. This is gonna you know no, no, you no. especially you, when we had two children. You start to realize that they're being they're quite serious about this. They're after you, and you have crossed the line. What were the kind of conversations you were having with Shabnam at this point? Oh, when I went down and told Shabnam, okay, she really let me have it. And uh, we don't really argue much. And that was one of the moments because she told me that she has been telling me for, I don't know, last two years. And I never listened. My father has been telling me I never listened. Everybody's been telling me I never listened. And now look what you did because we are not political fighters, you know, like we are not free fighters or whatever because we have two children. We are family. And what, what should we do now? I mean, who is going to look after our kids? And at the time, my daughter was 10 years old, 10 months old, and she used to be fed through my, my wife, you know? And, uh, we knew that they were picking up bloggers and influencers since months. And what they used to do, they used to take their phones and uh, take their Instagrams down and post a picture that Satade, uh, I don't know what, it was like this page has been seized by the, this authority of Islamic Republic and blah, 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 blah. So we didn't take our cell phones with us. And of course, I had some conversations with Masih Ali Najat. She used to write us sometimes that, yeah, I love watching your family and I miss my own family. And we used to write her back. She was very kind, very nice. I mean, regular conversations. I, I, I deleted everything because I knew that they were very, you know, like they're so sensitive about her. And uh, started like, you know, some political conversations I had with people. I deleted them anyway. But we didn't take our phone, and since our passwords are too complicated, we couldn't give us our accounts, even if we wanted to. It sounds like you, even after you get called in, and even after you have the big fight with Shabnam, and even after you realize that this is serious, you still couldn't have anticipated that you're going to get sentenced to 16 no years Come in on. prison. Just watch, look at my page, Gian. What, what have I done to deserve that? We did so much good in that country. You know, I have, I have, I have started so many campaigns which they have had so many fruitful results. Do you know that I pick up cigarette butts and I started a wave and campaign in Iran? And do you know how many people, thousands of people do that in Iran? So now? why do you think the sentence was so harsh? They were looking for examples to scare other people. The, the, the election of the parliament was closed and they didn't want anybody to take any side. They realized that we have become too influential maybe. And of course we were not with them. We were not, we were not enemy of, I don't know, of the regime, let's say that, you know. Of course I don't like them, I didn't want them. I always prayed that they go, but I was never a political activist you know what i mean so they thought maybe what if one day they decide to go against us for good for example you see like after that what happened the, the government knew things before they happened for example uh, a few months later they shot 1500 people on the streets and maybe they knew things like that would come and they wanted to 
get rid of those people who could, uh, you know, like uh, influence people to do something like that. Because the moment that we got out of the country, we lost that magic. Other times when I was out, I felt good. You see, I felt relieved. I said like, okay, now I'm in a free world. Now let me, you know, let me enjoy like all the, uh, all the, you know, like uh, advantages of free world they can offer me for a while till I go back. And I really liked it. But this time, you know, I miss Iran. And just the fact, I know if you saw the video of Shabnam and her mom, yes, you would know how I feel now. I mean, just just the feelings that if you want to go back, you can't. I wouldn't even eat lunch if I have to. You know what I mean? Although I will tell you that um, there are many, 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 many of us in the Iranian diaspora who oh, still yeah. have family in Iran and who know that we can we cannot return there. Uh, we cannot even visit there. So uh, I, I get how it feels. Do you what what do you believe the next step in your journey is? Do you see yourself staying in Turkey? Are you going to come to North America? Or are you going to continue ah, being an influencer? Question. What is that? What is the next uh, step on the journey of Picasso? We wanted to go back to Germany since my children are German citizens as well. And I always, I mean, I see Germany as my second home. I speak their language and they're always welcome. I have many good friends there. And the Germans have been always very kind to me. But uh, when we came to, I mean, these few days that Shabnam was staying here with kids, when I came, I decided to stay for a few days to get, like, to get a relief in our head. And... I realized that, wow, this is a great city. We fell in love with the city. We decided to stay here. But I'm not sure if forever. And going back to Germany, we went once to Germany, and all of a sudden, everything looked different, you know? I mean, with two children going, uh, and uh, imagine that we don't have that kind of financial stat that we used to have. I mean, the kind of life that I can... Uh, arranged for my children here is uh, way better than what I could offer them in Germany. I hope you take care of yourself. I hope you stay safe. Um, um, regards to Shabnam and your kids. And um, again, I look forward to talking soon. I know I talk too much. Everybody tells me that. And you were a very good listener. I really appreciate the time. Thank you so much. And Chodafis. Damn it. Chodafis. Picasso Moin, an Iranian kickboxing champion, an entrepreneur, a major social media influencer, now living in exile with his family in Turkey. Picasso joined us from Istanbul. special themed edition of Rook the Influencers. I'm Gian Gomeshi. Uh, if you want to check out any of our previous episodes on Rook, uh, catch up with things on Rook, our Rook moments, our Rook funnies, our Rook reads, uh, all of our video clips, etc. the guests we've had on the program, go to rookmedia.com. And you can be in touch with us by, well, posting on any of our platforms or email us at info at rookmedia.com. Info 
at rookmedia.com. Well, we've heard from Kusha in Los Angeles, from Picasso in Istanbul. Let's get to our third guest today, who is a pioneering young fashion and beauty blogger, a fashion journalist, and a social media influencer who has been significant in the growth of the Iranian fashion and beauty industry in the last decade. She is, in fact, credited with being one of the first Persian fashion bloggers in the world. Bahar Eslami was born in Tehran. She studied business management at Beheshti University in Tehran, then moved to San Francisco and got her MBA from Holt University in 2014. It was thereafter that she started her wildly popular blog called Fashion Sandwich, in which she introduces talented and largely independent Persian fashion designers and design creatives in Iran to her massive group of followers. Well, after growing the success of her platform in Iran, Bahar's fate took a challenging turn when, in 2018, the Islamic government shut down her page and all her social media access whilst accusing her of corrupting the minds of young Iranians. She was sentenced to up to 10 years in jail, but has managed to leave Iran and reestablish her social media presence in a big way. She and her fashion sandwich site are now based in Vancouver, Canada. Bahar's influence and popularity has grown growing once again in the realm of Persian fashion and beauty tips. And right now, Bahar Eslami joins us from Vancouver. Hello. Hi, Jian. Thank you for having me today. <laughs> it's an honor to have you. Thank you so much for doing this. And uh, you don't do a lot of interviews or video stuff that's in English, right? So this is, I, I, I'm, I'm even extra pleased to get you doing this in English. Thank you so much. And the pleasure is mine that I did my, actually, let's say, very first interview in English with you and your media. And um, I hope everything goes well. <laughs> and uh, I apologize for the stress that I have <laughs> since it's the first uh, English interview. <laughs> no stress. No stress. You, um, you know, you started the Fashion Sandwich blog and site in 2014. It, it is so successful now. I, I mean, I noticed a video, for example, you posted on Instagram yesterday is already at 50,000 views, and that's just the norm for you. But while Instagram influencers are now somewhat commonplace, your intentions for starting this blog were really quite beautiful when you've explained them. What Can you tell us what did you want to accomplish initially with Fashion Sandwich? Sure. Uh, Jian, my concept was to um, promote Persian designers, the underground Persian designers who lives in Iran, and they didn't have access to media to uh, for the world to hear their voices. So I started that page in, by introducing um, the Persian designers in different fields, like accessories, like interior designers, like fashion designers, jewelry designers, basically for the beginning for let's say a year it was completely free of charge and i arranged many interviews with them and even i had lots of designers in different cities of iran like let's say someone who is designing a really nice piece of mantu or like a dress in kashan or kerman and I was pleased to promote them on my page and now they are super famous in Iran. So basically that was my concept and uh, this happened in the time that Instagram was not really popular in all of the world. It was just a new um, booming media. It wasn't that um, popular like now. 
But uh, two steps back, where did you even get that idea? I mean, were you aware of all these fabulous indie designers that were in smaller towns or Shahroi, Iran? Did you did you know about them? How did you even come up with the concept? Okay, the thing is that they all emailed me. They all sent me the messages through the direct message, and I found them on Instagram. So um, that was the first concept. And, you know, I started at the time that all the Persians were really into high-end brands like Chanel, Hermes and stuff. And, for example, if you like, um, if you were going to Khanedaryo Sahel, like the beach of Khanedaryo, every girls were uh, wearing <laughs> some Chanel bags. So by that time, so I was wondering that we have lots of creative uh, underground Persian designers. So why shouldn't we stick to them? Why shouldn't we mix and match those high-end brands with our own local um, creative Persian designers? Actually, I was going to ask you, um, uh, because there are non-Iranians who listen to this show, and there are certainly people who've never been to Iran um, who listen. And is there, if you were to do this in a nutshell, um, I mean, you're a blogger, you're a journalist, you should be able to do this. If you were to say in brief, um, is there something that makes Iranian contemporary, Iranian fashion design or Iranian fashion designers unique? Yes, there is. Because I think that after the restrictions, creativity grows. So I think because of all the restrictions that people, designers have in Iran, their creativity grows. And I think the touch, the, the point that is different from um, other uh, brands in the world is they are, their minds are super creative. Mm. So this is the difference of our designer. You've become... To me, you're the conduit. You're the person in between that is bringing us, the audience or the interested people or the fans or the consumers, uh, to the Iranian designers that you find, that you promote, that you celebrate, that you tell us about. Um, part of why you're so successful at that, I think, is that you're very natural and engaging on camera. It's almost like you were made for this you were made to just be you know i mean watching your your video you're certainly not self-conscious but nor nor are you sort of fumbling around or or talking bullshit like there's you know it's uh, enjoyable and educational to watch you were you always a performer i wasn't a performer but one of my um one of my interests is to be a performer and maybe sometimes in the future I get help from you. So you help me to get into this job as well. <laughs> but I mean, if, if people who knew you growing up, would they be surprised that that Bahar is, is on YouTube and has a gazillion followers? Actually, um, let's say after the two years that I didn't work, um, when I opened my new page named Bahar Islami Journal, um, I started to have live sessions and interviews with different people in different fields, not only fashion and beauty. Uh, for example, with psychologists or nutritionists or yogis or stuff. So people were just messaging me that, okay, Bahar, we love these lives. And right now there are many people who are really like 
such a big fan of Bauer Islami journal <laughs> and rather than fashion sandwich. <laughs> so I, I was wondering that maybe sometimes in the future I go after this job and I grow my skills and I don't know. <laughs> I, I think that's unquestionably true, that if people were first coming to just see the fashion, the designs, or the products, now they're coming for you. That's that's true. You, you definitely seem like a natural performer to me. So if this is where you want to go with things, uh, you don't need any coaching. <laughs> You've already got it together. The other part of that, though, is um, this natural and improvised way you have of showing products and brands on social media, it's very 21st century because um, – the whole notion of Instagram influencers suggests it's more effective uh, to have somebody telling you, this is what I like, this is why I like it, in the vernacular, in natural, in regular language, rather than traditional forms of corporate advertising or promotion. In other words, I'll bet brands love you and want you to promote them. Would that be true? Actually, Persian brands, I can say yes, they like it. Uh, but my goal is to penetrate into foreign brands as well. So it's a bit tricky for me because I'm completely new into this market and I don't know how to get in touch with them, how to make that connection. But I'm doing my best to penetrate in that market as well. So there's two things there. First of all, so the answer is yes. It it is more effective to have someone like you promoting a brand than to have an advertisement in a magazine? Of course. Uh, this this is not because of me and my page. This is in the whole world that yeah. if you um, market your product or your business through someone that is that has fan in uh, social media is much, much more effective than uh, having in paper magazines or magazines because in social medias of those people those lifestyle bloggers or instagrammers you feel that you are facing with what they love what right. they choose right but in magazines you feel like okay i'm seeing a bunch of advertisings and you just pass them right you know it's nothing eye-catching and for people who follow you regularly or interact with you they feel like you're a friend of theirs so exactly. their friend is telling them check out these earrings or you know and, and exactly. I see how the, the second part of that um you said that you're interested in um what you called foreign brands you're in canada now so so <laughs> local brands yeah we were just joking the other day about how iranians come to the west and they go in khareji it's like no 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 you're the khareji don't don't call these people Kharaji. Uh, but anyway, the non-Iranian brands, does that mean you're changing your focus from what Fashion Sandwich was? No, not at all. But I want to have them both. Like, to be honest, I won't charge any Persian designer on Fashion Sandwich to promote their pieces who are in Iran, th those who are in Iran. So this will be ongoing. But beside that, I want to get in touch with non-Persian, let's say, brands, designers, and beauty brands because 80% of fashion sandwich will be focused on beauty. I don't know why is this going to be like this. Maybe it's because of those experiences that I had back home from the jail and stuff they um, sentenced me. 
right now I have a bit of fear inside yes. me to yes. still go deep in fashion. So I don't know, somehow I changed my way and I focused on beauty as well to, you know, maybe as time goes by, I will, I will go back to what I was doing. Right. But right now I should deal with all those fears that I have that, you know, I was I scared you. of yeah. like being a fashion person. <laughs> So uh, let's get into this story of what happened to you uh, um, in Iran in the la in recent years. You know, I have to say, um, you and I were talking a few days ago, and I was telling you that I learned many, many times in my life never judge a book by its cover. But but mm -hmm. just looking at you, I was aware of you on Instagram. I'd seen you. I, I would never. I would think, oh, this is some you know well off, uh, fabulous uh, Iranian woman who's created this uh, great site for herself. I would never have the sense of all that you've been through uh, and all that you've been through quite recently. So if we can just untangle this and you tell us as much as you're comfortable with and, and as much as you're not comfortable with, that's it's up to you. But, but in 2014, as you say it, your dad's urging, you go back to Iran, you end yeah. up getting married there, you're building your blog and your social media presence is growing massive, especially by the standards of that time, five or six years ago. Mm -hmm. For you on Instagram to have 180,000 followers was huge. You end up having two galleries in Tehran. Then yeah. suddenly, everything stops. What what yeah. happened in, in, in 2018? Okay, uh, the government and the Ershad organization told me that um, this is against um, Islamic Republic of Iran's law because you are spreading fashion. You are spreading that um, people people can wear like mantoya jolobas, like open mantos in the street. You are changing the street style. So I was like, okay, many people in Iran are having blogs with like let's say not wearing mantos so how come you don't like arrest them and you came to me and they said that because they are doing they are spreading the fashion that they can have at their homes but you are uh, spreading the street style fashion so this is the point who who tells you this by the way does somebody Somebody came to your house and, or, or I mean, how, how, how do they find you and, and talk to you? Actually, by that time, I had two galleries. So uh, one of them was Boutique Moon. So they came to um, my gallery and there were like few men and um, one woman. They asked me that you should give all your um, Instagram accounts. So... Um, just like that they I come up one day and say that to you yeah very politely very like nice and they said you should give it to us and I was like okay here you are all my accounts all my stuff and they gave me a paper they said okay tomorrow you should come for Bajjui so like an um, interrogation interrogate like a questioning exactly yeah. exactly yeah, can I just stop the story for a second because you know there are people who um, because of their work or because of their interests or because they're somewhat rebellious and they push the envelope in general, who know that there may be risks if they're, even our dear Babak Amini, when he returned to <laughs> Iran that time uh, and he was arrested, he, he says, I, I knew there might be some issues because I was touring with Gugush and all of that. And did you have any sense that this was going to happen to you? 
No, never ever. Because in all my photos and pictures, I was wearing Montoro Sari. So that was really shocking to me. I was wondering that maybe sometimes they come to me and they say, okay, Bahar, you should have more hijab. That's right, it. Right. Not like doing all this to me for two years. And they banned me from traveling outside of Iran for nothing. And um, I had so. So wait a second. You'd been doing this already. What, what what changed? Why did they suddenly decide that you're you're a problem? I don't know. Maybe um, the followers, but that time that Instagram was not that much popular in Iran, the followers raised and it, it came to like one hundred eighty something k followers. Thousand, yeah. So yeah, four years ago, three years ago, and then uh, after that, I had my galleries. So maybe. All those and the things that they understood that designers love me. I mean, mm -hmm. they had some emotional mm -hmm. uh, relations with me. They you're, you're basically me. you're becoming influential, and that's the threat. In the field of fashion, yes. So, so were you married by this time? Yes, I was married, and I, it was only like six months that I was married. I'm guessing you were scared. Yes. And I still, you know, my hands are cold right now because yeah. I, when I re remember all those um, memories, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe that I went through all of those stuff. Well, the, re the reason I'm asking if you were married is because I'm just wondering who was around you at that time that you, your, your loved ones, your close ones, and, and how they would process this information. I mean, it must have been very scary for your parents and for your husband. And, and um, so what kind of conversations would you have with them around this? Um, you know, all of them were shocked. We're like, we cannot believe that these are all happening. And uh, my husband was really a best friend for me during that time and my dad as well he did everything he could and he was you know because he took me back to iran he was doing more than anyone to solve this problem um and i don't know how it solved it was like hands of god i guess because suddenly it's like everything changed and they gave my passport this so, is this is the hang on, hang on a second so for two years they took down all of your social media right yes 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 so for oh. you for you that's your whole business i mean they basically and they closed the galleries yes and they said you are banned from working in any field of fashion any <laughs> even designing how did you feel what i mean what what was that like for you i mean for the first few weeks after everything's been shut down everything you've worked mm -hmm. towards everything you've built is suddenly taken away for the most ludicrous of reasons. Um, what what was that like for you? I don't know if you have ever uh, meet with a bankrupted person, but it was exactly like that for me. I mean, I felt like a bankrupted person who lost everything because of nothing. You know, the difference was that I didn't do anything wrong. I felt really unfair and i mean i felt everything is really unfair for you, me were you angry very angry like for uh very few first months i was like crying like just 
bullying them and like oh my god i hate them i hate this life blah blah why me why not others why all these are happening i didn't do anything and regrets regrets of going back to my country and after that i started to go to different self-study classes mm-hmm. so and psychologic um classes and sessions mm-hmm. so um like a therapist so start- did you or, or, or what do you mean yes yeah, yes, yeah, yes yeah yeah well i was going to ask a- you how you channeled the anger i mean whether you start working out or you see a therapist or you, I mean, you know, uh, you seem to have come out of it okay. So obviously you didn't become a, you know, descend into drugs and alcohol or something. But I mean, there's, how do you deal with a situation like that? Yeah. Actually, very first uh, thing that helped me was um, seeing a therapist each week for a year. And then I started my yoga classes. So that helped me a lot. I started to listen to different podcasts. That helps me a lot. So um, I think right now, I, as I told you before, I don't see it as a dark side of my life. Right now, I can see it as a new chapter, it, the beginning of a new chapter of my life. You grew. So you grew in this. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You grow from adversity, man. Always, it's the 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 most horrible and the most magical thing about uh, adversity, about t- tough times, is that I- if you can use it as a stepping stone to grow from it, it um, it can be an amazing thing. I um, and it was it was uh, so so interesting, and I'm very um, proud of what you've been able to do. It's uh, as I say, you scratch beneath the surface of of uh, of your Instagram account, and you find this person who's got this beautiful mission and who's been through so much, especially in recent years. And and so, way to go! And thank you for doing this interview. Thank you so much for having me, and I can't wait for you guys to be my guests on my pages. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to work Thank on my beauty so first before that. خیلی متشکرم. مرسی. خیلی ممنونم ازتون. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Islami, a fashion and beauty blogger, a fashion journalist, a social media influencer. You can find her at her fashion sandwich site and Instagram channel. Bahar Islami joined us from Vancouver, Canada. That is full time for Rook for today. The Influencers. Remember to check out all of our previous programs on Rook, our extras, our videos, our Rook funnies, Rook moments, etc., etc. Rookmedia.com is the destination. Rookmedia.com. Thanks to the amazing team who put this show together. Ponsa, the artist, producer Susan, the fabulous Keon, Super Patty Saw, Thoughtful Nagin, Savvy Roham, Alraya Merdod, Sponsorship Sean, Captain Reza, and Groovy Shaya. Thank you to all of you out there supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe if you've not done so already on all or any of our platforms. Find me on Instagram at Gian Gomeshi and Mizun Bashi.